0: Hey, good morning, how are we doing? Good, do me a favor, open your Bibles up to Haggai 2. We're gonna be in Haggai 2. We're kind of doing a six week thing in the Minor Prophets and we're gonna finish up Haggai this week, jump to Malachi uh, next week. I'm excited for uh, this morning, excited for next week as well. Love being in the Minor Prophets. And um, as you're turning to Haggai 2, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like on weeks like this, like I just was overwhelmed at the goodness of the Lord and how kind God is to us. I think something happens for people in West Michigan that as soon as we start to see 60 on the thermometer, it's like, oh wait, God does remember us. (laughs) Like he sees us. He, He is good. And then on top of that, the bridge is working again. Like you can drive across the bridge. What more could we possibly ever need in life? 60 degree weather and a bridge that works. Like we are so blessed. And, um, In all seriousness, I think of our world. I think of how beautiful it is, how diverse it is. I think of oceans. I think of mountains. I think of deserts. I think of plains. Like God's world that he's given us is beautiful, isn't it? He's given us the gift of life, that we can live and breathe and know God and one another. That's amazing. I I think of Jesus. Like, I'm still not over Easter. The fact that Jesus is alive and reigning and Lord of Lords, and He came and gave us life when we deserved death. That every day that we exist, we are existing in the graciousness and kindness of God's love for us. I think of God's Word that we can know God, that we can walk with God, that He's given us His Word. I think of the church, I think of the friendships and relationships I have, people who build me up and hold me accountable and, and, and help me when I'm in bad headspace. And, and that we've been given a family. I think of his continual provision. I think of the holiday we're celebrating. I think of Mother's Day, like I love my mom. I've already texted her, I've done my job today. I texted my mom, I thanked her and I said, I'm just so honored to be her favorite child, right? <laughs> she, she loved that, she totally agreed. You can ask her about that. Um, But do me a favor, Um, if you are sitting next to a mom, whether that be your mom or the mom of your kids, can you just turn to them and say, You're an incredible mom? (laughs) Hopefully, that's not the extent of what you're doing uh, for Mother's Day, but it's a blessing. Like, family's a blessing, mothers are a blessing. I'm so thankful for God's goodness. And, And do this again turn to your neighbor and just tell them, God's love for you is amazing. I believe that with all of my heart. God has been so good to us, but church, I need you to look at me right now. There's a danger that we can face even on a beautiful day like today. We can look at all of these things about God and His kindness and His love, and we can somehow believe the lie that God is weak or soft or can be taken advantage of, and that's a lie. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says this, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See what the writer of Hebrews said? He's saying, listen, God is not a cuddly teddy bear. He is an all-consuming fire. And then when we come into his house and we worship him, we've got to come with awe and reverence. C.S. Lewis in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, I think he sums it up so well. If you know that story, it's kind of his fictional allegory for Christianity. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this scene where Susan, one of the humans, she kind of walks into this magical world where animals are talking, and the ruler of this world is Aslan, and he represents God, and he's a lion. And she's talking to Mr. Beaver about Aslan, and it says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Church, preaching from the prophets is dangerous. And here's why it's dangerous. Why did, the God, why did God raise up the prophets? He raised up the prophets to speak into the sin of the nation of Israel. Israel would turn from God, they would run away from God, and he would raise up a prophet to call them out on their sin and speak truth to them. Why did God record the prophets in his word? To speak into the sin in our lives. Church, I'm just going to be honest. This weekend, it, we're going to talk about sin and repentance And this is something that churches oftentimes do not talk enough about. Maybe we haven't enough, but my message isn't a warm and fuzzy Mother's Day message. We're going to get after where our hearts are at right now, but this is something we have to do if we're going to be a church where God's presence rests heavily on. So look at verse 10 in Haggai 2. We're going to start there. It says this, It says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and he touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answers and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answers and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and the nation before me declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Okay, we're gonna break that down in a second, but here's the big question I wanna ask you right now. It's this, what does God think about the condition of your heart in worship this morning? What does God think about your heart as you enter his house today? And, And listen, I have been praying all week. God, would you break us uh, uh, of this prison of being concerned about what other people think of us? Like even just for a moment, could we be honest enough to look at our own hearts? Because listen, it doesn't matter what your spouse thinks about your heart. It doesn't matter what your small group leader thinks or your pastor or your parents. I'm asking the question, what would God say about the condition of your heart and worship today right now? Can you even ask yourself that question? Well, you see in these verses, what God does through Haggai is he asks the priests who were the leaders in the Old Testament law, he asks them a question about the law. This would have been an easy question for them. And here's what he asks. It's very, very simple. He says, listen, if you take holy meat, meat that, that, that was set aside for God, and you put it in your coat, and then if your coat touches other food or wine or oil, does it become holy? And the priests are like, no, that's crazy. Only meat that's set aside for God is holy. And he's like, you're right. And he goes, now listen, if you touch a dead person and you become unclean, and then you touch food or, or wine or oil or anything else, does that become unclean? And the priests are like, yes, that actually does become unclean. It, 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 it's different. You can pass the uncleanliness, but you can't pass the holiness. And there's this big principle God's reminding the Israelites of, it's this, it's that impurity is way more contagious than holiness. Impurity is is way more contagious than holiness. And we know this, right? Like, dirtiness, sickness, disease is way more contagious than cleanliness and health. Last week, my family and I were able to go away on vacation, and we had the classic thing happen to a family of six. On the first day, my son Judah, he woke up, and he was congested and running a fever. 24 hours later, guess what happened? His brother, Bo, who was sharing a room with him, woke up congested and was running a fever. 24 hours later, guess what? Nora woke up congested running a fever. 24 hours later, Ashley congested running a fever. Like that's how sickness works. It spreads. We don't send our sick kids to school hoping they'll catch the health of all the other kids in the classroom, right? No, we keep the kids home because like, man, my sick kid's going to tank eight other kids if he's there. I've never had a kid who's been outside and filthy from playing in the outdoors, walk into a clean house, and the house magically makes him clean. It just doesn't work that way. He makes the house dirty. Sin and impurity is much more contagious than holiness. Listen, we talk about this all the time. You can't trade off of your parents' faith. You can't. You can't trade off of your spouse's faith. You can't trade off of your mentor's faith, your pastor's faith, your small group leader's faith. Your salvation and your relationship with God has everything to do with you and Jesus Christ. You can't hide. You can't transfer the holiness. But sin is contagious, and God says this whole people is stained by sin, and if they've touched something, it's like it's dead. And this is really terrifying to think about. Men... Do you know that your unrepentant sin, and listen here, when I talk about sin, I want to be clear. What, What the prophet's talking about are things that are wrong in our heart that we know is wrong and we're not dealing with. It's not making a mistake. It's not lashing out, then making it right. He's talking about unrepentant sin, things we know that are an offense to God that reside in us that we, day after day, month after month, year after year, allow to live in our hearts. Do you know that that sin can impact and devastate and stain your entire family? That it can destroy relationships, that it can impact an entire church? But look at the rest of verse 14. It says this. It says, then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the the Lord. So with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Right here's the second thing we see, is that unclean hearts produce unaccepted worship. God says not only are their hearts unclean, like they're dead, and their works are unclean, but even the worship that they offer is unclean. First Samuel fifteen twenty two says this, says, "'Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord?' Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. God's saying, listen, I care way more about your heart and its softness and your repentance of sin than the offerings that you give. I'm not concerned with the external. I want your heart. And church, here's where I need to press in. Look at me. You know you can't fool God, right? You know that God sees And he knows the condition of your heart as you enter this place today. How many of us are here right now making a mockery of God because of the condition of our hearts as we enter this house of worship? We come in here and we go through the motions, we give half-hearted praise and, and, and worship, but we don't even focus on who God is or what his word is saying because we are so consumed with ourselves and there are things in our heart and life that we know are wrong and we don't care. We don't care. We are going to keep pursuing our sin. Our hearts are hard. We are mocking God presenting unclean worship. How many here are mocking God by singing His praises in light of the lives we've lived this past week? We're saying, God, you must be an idiot because I'm going to play the game believing that you don't actually see. Do we even think of God? Do we even think of repentance and being right with Him before we come into this place and worship the living and reigning King of the universe? God, forgive us for being so arrogant Haggai tells God's people, your hearts are defiled, and your worship is defiled. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, hey, Cal, like, isn't this like the Old Testament angry God? And didn't like Jesus chill God way out? Well, like, I get that God's upset, but this was before the cross. This was before forgiveness. Like, aren't you in the Old Testament? Aren't you in the wrong Testament, wrong covenant? Well, let's look what the New Testament says, because you're gonna see this exact theme play out for the church. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21 says this. It says, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. See what Timothy's saying here, Paul's saying to Timothy? He's like, listen, it's only when we depart from sin and iniquity can we present ourselves to God as useful. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27 through 30 says this, it says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be gu- guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. See what God's saying? He's saying, how dare you come into my house How dare you take the elements of communion, which is you uniting yourself with Jesus Christ, and you come in with a clean heart, with unrepentance. And he goes, you are sowing judgment on yourself. And it was so bad in the Corinthian church that people were actually getting sick and dying because their hearts were so far away from the Lord, and they were going through the motions of worship. God sees. How do you come in here today? Again, I'm going to ask this question again. What does God think about the condition of your heart in worship today? And so here's what I need you to do. Keep your finger in Haggai. We're going to come back here, but flip over to the end of your Bibles into Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to look at six different examples of heart impurities that we can bring into this place today. And um, in thinking about what to talk about, I was like, well, what was Jesus concerned about? And if you don't know the book of Revelation, Revelation, Jesus uh, meets uh, with John, his disciple, and he says, hey, I want you to write these things down. And he starts the book of Revelation off with saying, I've got seven letters I want you to write to seven different churches. And to five of the churches, he calls them to repent. So I'm like, all right, well, if Jesus is calling the church to repent, let's start with those things about areas of sin or impurity that we might bring in here. So if you throw up the next slide, I kind of charted them down, and you can take notes off of this. Um, The first is apathy. This is to the church of Ephesus. We studied this a few weeks ago, but he says, you've abandoned the love you had at first. And church, if I could just say this, I believe this is our greatest sin that we don't love God like he deserves. Church, the greatest commandment in the Bible is you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In church, how easy is it for us to settle for a five out of 10 faith, right? We come in here and our worship is half-hearted, We're already thinking about Mother's Day plans. We're already thinking about what we've got going on next week. We are so consumed and focused on ourselves and our lives that we can't even give God the praise He deserves with all of our attention and focus because we are surrounded by ourselves in our mind. How many times have we chosen to not do what we know the Lord would call us to because it might make our lives uncomfortable? I don't want to give up that. I don't want to step into that uncomfort. It's so easy to settle for a 6 out of 10 or 5 out of 10 faith. God, forgive us for that. Here's the second one, false teaching. In Revelation 2, to a different church, he says, you have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam. Okay, here was the problem in that church. They were being more influenced by culture and the teaching of the day rather than holding fast to the word of God. They were allowing their culture to set the standard of truth, and they were judging God's word by what culture said rather than the other way around. They didn't love God's word. They didn't know it. And church, here's what I'd say. You know, there's false teaching all over the place. Do you know that there's a massive new movement of false teaching that basically says, hey, repentance isn't really part of the Christian faith? That that was more for Israel and for the Jews. But really, God doesn't need you to, to repent over your sin and you don't need to take repentance seriously. Guys, it's crazy. These are Gentile churches that Jesus is writing to. Five out of the seven, repent, 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 repent. Do you love God's word? Is it a priority in your life? Could you defend your own heart against false teaching? Or are you so naive to what God's word says that whatever someone says is gonna win the day? Here's the next one, 221. You tolerate sexual immorality. This is lust and sexual immorality. Can I ask a really hard question? How many hearts in here today of both men and women are being absolutely devoured by lust and sexual immorality? How many of you are drowning in the sin of lust, can't control your eyes, can't control your thoughts? What social media platforms are you using that's devouring your hearts towards lust and sexual immorality? What TV shows are you watching that is causing your heart to drift towards lust and sexual immorality? In a room this size, how much adultery is represented in this room right now? Some of you are like, wow, Cal, this is uncomfortable to hear. Like, like it's quiet in this room right now. Listen, it's not my job to make you comfortable. How can we come to this place claiming to give sincere worship while our hearts have run after the very things we know God hates? The next one, this is in Revelations 3, it says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I love this about God's word because here's what we see. In Revelation 3.1, Jesus is calling out nice church folk. He's saying, you can play the game. You can go through the motions. You can lift your hands at worship at the right time. You know when to nod. You know when to say amen. You can make it look like everything's fine. You have the appearance of being alive, but you're dead. He's like, when you leave this place or when you're by yourself, you're nothing like the person you present yourself to be. Right? It's a good thing Christians in America never struggle with that, right? We're totally past that. No, he's saying you look like you're alive, but you are just going through the motions. It's hypocrisy. And then in Revelation 3.15, he calls a church lukewarm. He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, so I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's apathy. And I know some of you type A people are like, hey, you've already put apathy on the list. You can't put it there twice. It's cheating. Well, listen, I would push back and say, if Jesus mentions it twice, we should probably put it twice on the list, right? Can I ask you a question? How do we know if our hearts are lukewarm? Can I give you a really good indicator? What's your prayer life like? How desperate are you for the presence of God in your day-to-day life? Like, how comfortable are you going through meetings and going through the workday without ever asking God for help? How many of you can go through an entire weekend doing what you want to do, having fun with the family, doing all of the things, and never crying out to God, God, I need your presence in my life if I'm going to love my family well, if I'm going to be gracious towards my kid, if I'm not going to lose it at the idiot dad at the soccer game. I need you to fill my heart. God, let me be a light. Help me be a blessing. Fill me with your presence. I need you or I'm going to make a mess. Like how often do we settle for pride and prayerlessness? It's because our hearts are apathetic. And I have a bonus one, and this one's from James 3, 5 through 12, and it's anger and gossip. James says this, he says, How great of a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in the likeness of God. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Church, we live in a time and in a culture where gossip and slander and trashing people behind each other's back, it isn't the exception, it's the rule. It's normal. It's what we see all over the place. So in 2018... MIT did a a, a research study, and and what they found is, is that fake news, things that are not true, travel six times faster on social media than the actual truth. So our hearts gravitate to salacious material and lies that if you just put something out there that's a lie, it has six times the reach and will go six times farther than what the truth is. But the good news is, is that was in 2018, and I'm sure all of the stuff with election and COVID has made that way better, right? Like, I'm sure it's not nearly as bad now as it was then, huh? No, it's probably way worse. We love to gossip and slander. and What James is saying is, is is you can't do that. You can't bless God and curse others. It can't be that way. Church, do you engage in this? I, I want to show show this out, so I need a volunteer. Mar- Mario, can you come up here? This is Mario. He's uh, in my small group, and um, he sits in front, so he knows this is dangerous. You doing good? Yeah, good. Okay. Let's just, for example, say I'm going to stand away from Mario because Mario and I are fighting right now. But just imagine I were to come up to you, and I was like, guys, did you know that Mario's a jerk? Like, he's the worst. And he did A, B, and C. And I heard that he did D. I'm not sure about it, but it sounds like something that jerk would do. And then he said X, Y, and Z. Like, can you believe that about Mario? Um, How should you respond to me? What would the love of Christ demand? Here's what it would demand. You need to look at me and say, hey, Cal, why are you saying those things about Mario? I don't have an ear for that. If you have a problem with Mario, go make it right. And if you guys can't make it right, I'm happy to help. But don't trash him. We can't talk bad about one another. Now, unfortunately, with Mario, all of those things are true. So just do with that what you will. No, it's like, no, don't say that, Cal. It's not true. Thanks, Mario. You can sit down. Can you guys thank Mario for coming up and helping me? I I need you to get this, though, because I think we as Christians, we're really good at deceiving our own hearts about this. So here's what I'll do. I'll go to Chris Nora and be like, hey, Chris Nora, can you pray for me? I'm really going through a hard time. And you're like, sure, I'd love to pray for you. What's going on? Mario sucks. Right, and we use like under this banner of spirituality. Hey, will you pray for me? I'm having a hard time. Then we rip someone, or it's like, Hey, Chris, because I love you, and because I I, I want to warn you, I know that you teach a fifth grade class with Mario. Be careful with that guy, right? I'm just doing this because I love you. Like we can lie to ourselves to justify doing what we know is wrong. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received is this don't make others feel worse about someone else just so they'll feel better about you. Don't do it. It's the opposite of a you before me love of Jesus, and I fear, church, we do this all the time. All right, and I need to say this. Listen, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, I'm not preaching this message to make you feel condemned. We are forgiven, we are clean, we are made new in Christ. Jesus knew all of this about us and he chose to love us and forgive us and save us. Anyways, I'm not preaching to condemn, but hear me, I am preaching to convict and to warn because I love you and I want the best for you. And here's the problem with unrepentant sin in our heart, it's the next thing we see, is that sin travels across borders. We see this in Haggai 2 verse 15. Look what it says. He says this, now then consider from this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How did you fare? And when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all of the products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. See what God's saying? He's like, listen, when you were in sin, how'd it go for you? You would plant 20 measures of grain, you would receive 10. You'd plant 20 vats of wine, or 50 vats of wine, you'd receive 20. You were running at 40 and 50% of what you thought you were going to get. He goes, I was going out of my way to make your life difficult because I wanted your heart. Church, have you ever thought that maybe the pain points in your life you're going through is because God wants what's best for you and he wants you to return to him? This is the same principle we see in Galatians 6. It says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. See what Paul's saying? Don't lie to yourself, church. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God's saying, I'm not going to be mocked if you sow sinful seeds. It's going to reap a harvest in your life that's not going to be grave. So can I ask you a question? What are you sowing in your life right now? Are you sowing seeds of bitterness? Are you sowing seeds of dishonesty? Are you sowing seeds of lust or seeds of apathy or seeds of anger? And and here's why I ask this, because if you do, that's going to produce a harvest that you're not gonna wanna eat. It's going to be bitter. And, And again, I want to encourage you, listen, you can sow a harvest of humility. You can sow a harvest of peace. You can sow a harvest of soft-heartedness, of repentance, of joy that won't just be a blessing to you, it will be a blessing to the generations of your family. God is not mocked. In Galatians 6, 9, he continues and said, then let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Paul's encouraging them, don't stop. God sees and he will bless. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is what I call our decision problem. And here's why preaching the prophets is so dangerous. Because here's the thing, when you're confronted over sin, you have to make a choice. You can't stay neutral. And this is why this is dangerous. Hebrews 3.12 says, "'Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you "'an evil, unbelieving heart that leading you "'to fall away from the living God.'" but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, so here's the problem. If I confront Matt on sin, he's got a choice. He can either be like, you know what, I know that sin, I'm gonna repent, I'm gonna have a soft heart, I'm gonna move towards the Lord or what he can do is he can justify, he can dig his heels in, he can get mad at me, he can blame everyone else or he can just say, no, I'm going to keep pursuing it. But you see, he hasn't stayed neutral. He's actually gone farther away. This is the problem with the prophets. It causes us to make a choice. Are we going to hear the word of the Lord and harden our hearts or respond with repentance? What will you do? And here's the thing, church. We see this as we close this passage out. Repentance restores relationship always. Look at verse 18. He says this. He says, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider is the seed laid yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Okay, here's what he's saying. Remember in Haggai 1, for 18 years, Israel returned to the promised land but didn't rebuild the temple. Then Haggai spoke to them, and Zerubbabel, their leader, their king, he turned to the Lord in repentance, and they rebuilt the temple. And what Haggai's saying, he goes, listen, for 18 years, you've had bad harvests. And he goes, it's not even harvest time yet. You haven't planted anything. There's nothing in the barns. But he goes, here's what I promise you. You're going to be restored. You're going to have a full harvest. Because you've turned to me in repentance, I will bless you. So don't miss this. For 18 years, running from God, unrepentant, not doing what they know God's calling them to do, they turn and repent in a matter of days. God restores because that's what our God does. His love and mercy and forgiveness can run so much faster than our sin does. And by the way, our church is filled with hundreds of stories like this. You see, again, I know Pastor Chris talked about this last week, but one of the lies we believe when there's sin in our life is I'm too far gone, I can't make things right, things will always be broken. It's not true. Hundreds of testimonies of people in this church saying, what I thought was dead, God made alive. What I thought was broken, God restored when I turned to Him and walked towards Him in repentance. Listen… What does God want to give us? He wants to give us the fruits of his spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can I ask you a question? Raise your hand if you could use more peace in your life right now, today. Raise them up high. Okay, you know there's an unending supply that God will give you more than you could ever hope for or need. We just need to turn to him and trust him and walk in obedience and repentance. It's there, it's an overflowing river. That there is love beyond compare. All of these things are ours in Christ. But we need to have soft hearts and move towards Him in repentance. Again, the big question, what does God think about the condition of your heart in worship today? All right, so I'm going to close a little bit differently. I'm going to close by talking to you about what I'm nervous about as I leave this service. Because as I was writing this message, I just had this fear that was bubbling up over and over and over again. And I have three concerns for you. Here's the first. My first concern is you're going to actually leave here today in worse shape than when you came in. That because God's word confronts us on sin in our lives, that some of you, you're going to continue to harden your hearts. And if I could just plead with you now, stop running. Where is that sin going to lead you? What is your end game? How is that going to end well? End the pride. Make today a moment where there's a line in the sand that says, I moved towards Jesus. I'm, I'm fearful that some of you are in here and you're thinking to yourself, I just want this stinking sermon to be done because I want to get out of here because I don't want to hear this anymore. Here's my second concern. My second concern is that you're going to focus on the sin of others right now. I hope my son hears this man, I need to give this to my sister. Man, look how sin has blown up this person's life. Listen, no, no, no. You're not God. You can't fix other people, but you can deal with the sin in your own heart right now. Please, God, allow us to look at ourselves in this moment. Like I've prayed so many times this week, God, just reveal the sin that's in my heart that I'm not even aware of if my motives are impure, if I'm holding on, if I'm sowing anything that, that, that's going to lead to a corrupted harvest, God, God, reveal it so I can repent. May we be so hungry to repent and rid ourselves because we want to experience the blessing of the Lord. Then here's my third, and my third one's a little bit weird. I'm really worried we're going to miss the point. And I've been around church people long enough that this is what happens after I preach a hard message on repentance. I'll have people come up to me and be like, Cal, I love that message. And I love being part of a, of a church that ch- preaches the truth. And I love that you're not scared to call sin, sin. And I'm just so encouraged that, that we actually deal with these things. And listen, I'm thankful for the encouragement. I love that. But, but you're missing the point if you leave here feeling good about what I preached about without ever engaging with what I'm actually preaching about. Like, let's not be so prideful to think that we've arrived and there's not still things that we have to deal with. Would we all have the humility to say, God, search my heart. Let's not miss the point. Listen, I am so, so convinced that what God is doing in this church is amazing and that there's more in store and we are going to have just an awesome impact in lives, in marriages, in families, and in this community. But we will forfeit all of that if we start to settle for undealt with sin in our hearts. Let's pray, Dear Heavenly Father. I thank you for your Word. I thank you for this church, God. I thank you even now as I pray. I see so many people whose hearts are willing, whose hearts are soft. God, I'm just asking right now, God. I confess my words are really, really weak. I'm so limited. But God, your spirit is alive and you are a consuming fire and you can do the miraculous, God. I'm just praying for miraculous repentance right now. That you would stir our hearts towards you, that we would leave here changed, but we need your spirit to help us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.